Welcome to Rule 8 Politics with Jeremy and Zach. This is the show where we always tell the truth, or we at least don't lie. We'll always fix our errors whenever we make them, although it will probably be very rarely when that happens because we're very smart. We are smart dudes here. And uh, we're here just to talk straight politics with you. Uh, we'll discuss the news of the week every week. And this was a hell of a week. We had a sitting governor, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. She was almost kidnapped by a group called the Wolverine Watchmen. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, first of all, how are you feeling? And what's your what was your reaction when you first heard about this? Um, yeah, it's a it's a wild story. Um, I think my my first reaction was probably not my it's probably not the correct correct reaction. But my initial thought was like, wow, I wonder what the FBI did to coerce these people into do something so crazy and stupid, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I, I wonder what these folks' plan was. Like, all right, so we kidnapped the governor. Uh, now what, right? Like, like I, 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 how do you go from that to like making any so, positive change or any, anything like that? You know, it's a, it was a completely far-fetched plan. So you were thinking at first that the FBI was pulling the strings and trying to get this group the kidnapper well, like, uh, they, well they definitely do have a history of doing stuff like that really yeah uh, so like um so like you know fbi will try to find these individuals that have these tendencies for violence or do something outlandish and then they'll be like hey if, you know if you want to blow this building up hey you know i i know a guy out back who's got you know ammonium nitrate and hook you up you know and then yeah show up to get it and boom you're busted um however uh, after putting in like you know two minutes of actual thought into this, uh, um, no, it was more likely that, that these folks just came. They pieced together a very terrible plan that was doomed for failure, and um, they just allowed themselves to be infiltrated by the FBI uh, very easily. And they th they took down they thwarted their plan before they did something stupid. Thank God, that's the last thing that uh, we would have needed before this election. That would have really <laughs> made an already chaotic scene much more chaotic. Um, you know, this was being planned, I read, in the basement of a vacuum shop. Did you hear about that? Yeah, under a <laughs> like, rug and a trapdoor. Like, you know, I've, <laughs> I've always been suspicious of those, like, old appliance stores. Like, what are they really doing in there? You know, like, they can't get by just by selling vacuums, right? But... I don't think the actual owner of the store got in any trouble. Like he supposedly didn't know what was going on. Um, this was all just taking place in the, and his basement that you had to enter through like a, what looked like a trap door <laughs> in the floor of the store. A lot of yeah, rhymes man. there. Yeah. Maybe he was the one wearing the wire. You know? Yeah. Maybe, who maybe knows? He took a plea deal. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who knows? Um, but 13 men were arrested, is what we know, and uh, they call themselves um, the, the, uh, the Wolverine Watchmen. Uh, at first, they were talking about the uh, Michigan Militia, which I guess is a, a separate group or maybe a, a, a broader term just to talk a little about militia groups that operate within Michigan. Supposedly, the state has a history of it. Um, I, I don't know if you got any uh, information on, on that um, at, at all, but 
Um, I think a lot of the information in this case is still coming out. So we're not exactly sure what all the details were and everything. But, you know, uh, one thing that is for sure is that militia groups on the around the country are on the rise. It's a scary thing right now. And it's kind of, in my opinion, a, a reaction to a general state of lawlessness. Um, people aren't trusting the, the cops anymore. They're not protect, uh, uh, they, they're not, they don't want to rely on the government. You know, they're very, um, there's this, this strong, I guess you could call it a, a resistance movement, whether you're on the left and you're resisting Trump and, and, and what you, what you consider to be fascism. Um, and, and there's this, equally strong resistance movement that's kind of on the right too that's a resistance to what they see as as government overreaches and and the rise of socialism and uh this group was really a a right-wing organization that saw governor gretchen whitmer as somebody who was really abusing her powers uh especially relating to the shutting down of the state due to covid um so i don't know i right. know i threw, threw a lot out there but <laughs> what, what are your thoughts yeah i guess let's talk about why why would these folks consider the governor uh to be a tyrant right so yeah. What, what, yeah, what, yeah what were the conditions that that would that led them to i guess tell or believe for themselves to believe that she had to be taken out um and so I'm not sure if it started really so much before the pandemic, but I, there was tons of backlash um, from uh, from the lockdown order, uh, from the mask mandate. Yeah, and uh, there was a there's I think like twenty twenty diff different um, recalls uh, against the governor that were filed. Um, if if uh, I, I remember, I got wind of like a large right wing protest movement. Back when they did um, what they called Operation Gridlock, which I think mm -hmm. was in early April, which were um, a bunch of people showed up in Lansing, Michigan, in their vehicles and just gridlocked. Okay. The, yeah, the, uh, uh, the yeah I didn't know that there. was the name of it, but yeah, I remember that. That was like before the George Floyd protests. And uh, these were people that were basically, they, uh, they were armed, right? And um, I mean, I think at first it was just like car parades that were just they were honking their horns sitting in their cars and then they they escalated a bit where they actually were going into government buildings with with weapons and stuff right am i just yeah. imagining that yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah those are two different uh, two separate things but yeah the the second one where they stormed the uh, uh i forgot what government building it was uh i think it might have been the capitol but yeah that was I mean, like, man, I was like, shit's different in Michigan, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> evidently, um, you know, I know militias have always been a uh, kind of a, an important part of the culture and a very pro Second Amendment. But mm -hmm. to, to when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's uh, definitely a show of force, right? Like, it's, I'm not sure. I'm. It's it's hard it's hard to to view that what they did as something that wasn't um a direct threat right right so i mean sure like they got these 13 guys but um you know the actions of storming the capitol building definitely emboldened their ideologies 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. in terms it's of like, like if we can get just... if we can get away with this, if we could just storm this building without any recourse, what else can we do? What can we get away with next? Right. So you can almost see them just trying to up the ante a little bit. Um, but like I think you already kind of said, you know, there were reasons, I'm putting in quotations here, air quotations, reasons for them wanting to uh, kidnap the governor. Um, other than the, the, the mask mandate, and I guess shutting down of, of businesses, was there anything else particular that you came across as to why uh, they felt she was abusing her powers? No, I did not. Those are like the two yeah. big ones. Um, they thought that um, using um, her executive authority was an overreach. Uh, I think the, the, the Michigan Supreme Court did strike down her um, extension of the, of the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess perhaps there was some validity that it wasn't an overreach of power. Um, but I think, man, if her, I, I think it's important. I remember how I felt when I saw uh, Operation Lockdown and like, you know, there was a tons of backlash from people on the left saying like, you know, like, look at these idiots. Like, I can't believe they're not social distancing. I can't believe they're out in the streets. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they did everything to criticize and tear them down. But like, you know, the reason these people took to the streets was like their, their livelihoods were taken from them. Mm-hmm. Right? So they, they had a point like you know they, the government shuts down your business and say hey too bad yeah you know there's a there there is a legitimate reason to be angry about that mm-hmm. and like the, the lack of empathy from the left when whenever they did that i thought was very disturbing yeah i i remember that too and um you know a lot of people on the left are advocating for um for direct payments or um types of loan forgiveness and and rent freezes and whatnot um and i understand all of that you know especially when we're going through this uh through a pandemic um and then not to be able to connect the dots as to why these people were protesting way back when protesting the shutdowns and the uh you know the uh the forced closing of businesses you know how they couldn't connect that to a lack of Okay, um, we're gonna shut down your business, but we're gonna pay all your expensive t- expenses too. You know, there was no follow through from the government. Had there been that follow through, which really was a lot of the things that that the left wanted, you know, um, they would have made natural allies. But that never really happened. It was kind of bizarre. It was. It's a, I mean, it's a man. It's, it's, this is where you get into the moral ambiguity of the situation, and like did um. You know, did was was uh, was Whitmore deserving to be kidnapped and murdered? Absolutely not. No, you know, as, uh, but did she do everything that she could have to prevent something from like that actually taking place? Did she, did she address the needs of her people in an adequate manner? Like, I, I think if, if you got people getting together and conspiring to kidnap and murder you, you're probably fucking up pretty bad as a governor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's like, a sign it's, that like, you're not doing things very well. Right. I mean, like everybody, I mean, I'm sure like the the left and the right never agree or agree very rarely, especially on, you know, uh, on huge topics, but you don't often see them calling for the like literal abduction of the opposition party. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, it's, it's uh, could she have done a better job? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. And uh, yeah, yeah I, my heart goes out to the people of, uh, of Michigan that have, that have had to suffer with uh, very lacking in their, their leadership. Yeah, you can't just tell people you have to stay home and then that's that, you know? I mean, if you're doing that, if you're taking away their livelihoods, you have to at least at the same time give them the means to get by, give them the money to continue paying their bills, meet their obligations, you know, or, or somehow be, you know, put their obligations on pause. Um, I'm talking about financial obligations, of course, um, rent freezes. Um, you know, it's, I mean, as a, a student, um, an ex-student, I have a ton of student debt uh, and the government thankfully did freeze student loans. But really, I, I believe that only I could be wrong here, I believe that really only impacted people who have federal student loans, you know, so if you refinanced and you, you're now paying Discover instead of the government, um, I don't know if, if that freeze impacted you or not. Um, I, I really don't know the answer on that, but just uh, just something that kind of came to mind. Um, yeah, if you're it, the, the point I'm trying to make is if, you know, the government really should stay away from from mandates, you know, all people, you have to do this, follow what I say. But if you do, you have to give them the means necessary to follow that mandate. You know, you can't just you can't just say you, you got you, you, you can't go to work anymore. You have to stay home. And you have to continue paying all your bills. I mean, that, that's just a recipe for, for uh, the, the peasants to revolt, you know, to grab the pitchforks and, and, and storm the Capitol. And that's essentially what almost happened. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, I think, you know, when a, even something as simple as a mass mandate, um, I think if, if uh, sure, we are definitely in a position now where masks are much more readily available, but I think well, I, we, uh, I think we we've briefly discussed it, um, maybe not on air, but there was a there was a mass program that the that the Trump administration almost did, where they were gonna they were just gonna blanket mail every address in America, um, five cloth uh, reusable cloth masks, you know, yeah. and, and like why why they pulled the plug on that program is beyond me. It would have been such a if like if uh, if you want to give the impression that they're taking the pandemic seriously. Or like really actively doing something about it, my God. Yeah, that's that's like, something that I wish um, one of these reporters would ask the Trump administration about. I, I haven't heard anybody ask them about that specific uh, um, proposal that was scratched. But yeah, they were going to send everybody in the country masks, you know, universal basic masks, essentially, and then they uh, they scratched it at eleven o'clock, basically. Um, it's just kind of, just kind of beyond me. Um, but I mean, it just, it just, it, it just further demonstrates the lack of seriousness that this administration, the Trump administration, um, they have not addressed this virus in, in a very serious manner. And they're, they're still not, I mean, this, this, this week, just watching Trump, and uh, Washington politics, it was just kind of like a, a roller coaster with, with <laughs> I mean, the debates, first of all, the set, they, they've canceled the next set of, uh, of Trump, the Trump 
the second Trump Biden debate has been canceled because Trump doesn't want to do it virtually. And of course, Biden doesn't want to do it in person because the guy he's debating has the coronavirus. You know, I mean, it's pretty understandable. I wouldn't want to be standing on the on the same stage as somebody who's infected with the coronavirus. So, you know, the uh, the Commission on Presidential Debates wanted to do a virtual one. And, you know, Trump, uh, he wants to do it in person. And now I think he's going to hold a, some kind of event at the White House, an in-person event instead of of a debate. Um, it's just it's just crazy. He had uh, an in-person event there today. He had a little speech on on the on the front lawn, I think. Um, Wait, which also isn't that in violation of uh, of a bunch of stuff, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, uh, it was a, it was a campaign rally, essentially a mini rally yeah. on the lawn of the White House. You can't use the White House as a, a campaign tool, right? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's, it's, law and order. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but not for me. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think pulling the plug on the second debate, um, number one, doesn't matter? And number two, do, 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 you, do you think this actually works in Trump's benefit or not? Well, it's an interesting, interesting question um, because right now the polls are showing that Biden and Harris have a lead. Uh, usually it's the team that's not winning that wants to get out there and debate. So I don't, I'm not really understanding the, the Trump angle here all that much. Um, but typically, if you're down in the polls and election day is around the corner, you want to have debates and you want to be aggressive. And, you know, usually you want to try to make the other side not look as good. And by kind of being a baby, that's how I see this. He's not getting his way. He wants an in-person debate and it's his way of the highway. Frankly, he's, he's acting like a baby here. And uh, I don't see how that's going to help Team Trump. Um, maybe they're trying to delegitimize the whole debate process to some extent, but um, I don't know how, how well that's going to work, to be honest with you, um, especially after I thought the Pence-Harris debate was uh, uh, pretty smooth overall. So it, it, I don't think the takeaway from that was that, you know, these this debate these debates are illegitimate or anything. They only seem to be pointless when Trump is in them, frankly. Um, so I, I don't see the Trump angle here. And I think it helps Biden if uh, that the, the debate's been canceled. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, uh, it makes Trump look weak and it also makes him look like a hypocrite too. Um, for, I mean, just yeah. go back to even, even just two weeks ago, but really a month ago when he was really hammering how... It was uh, it was absurd that the debates were so close to the election day, and that they should have more of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so now now he he's the one backing out of yeah I, yeah. And and he was basically saying that uh, you know casting doubt on whether Biden would even show to the debate. Right now it's him that basically was refusing to do a, a virtual one, and then the commission just canned the whole thing. Um, right. I mean, and it declared you know he was or the assume or claim that he was going to be mis- you know mistreated or treated unfairly here I mean, trump is always the fucking victim right yeah like like, like what like have you ever heard trump say, say like 
very rarely will Trump say anything positive about anyone or anything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's like the whole entire world is against the man, even though he's the strongest fucking man on the planet. You know, he's he's a, still always the victim, never yep. treated fairly. Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah, he's uh, he's just uh, he's he's a nut. You think that medication, the dexamethasone, uh, has uh, been messing with him at all? And I mean, who knows, man? I mean, his behavior is so erratic and crazy. Anyway, um, I, I his his speech today, he did mostly seem like himself. You know, I thought, um, uh-huh. I, I think maybe he's. I mean, he seemed a little more amped up than usual, but you know maybe it's just because of the, you know, the election so close and I, I don't know. I, I, I have not seen any like conclusive evidence in my opinion that it, that it has remarkably changed his state of mind. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I think the whole stimulus talks this week were such a roller coaster that I'm wondering if the medication played into, into that a little bit. I mean, cause I mean, he was in the hospital last Saturday tweeting. Um, he says, I have it written down here. Our great USA wants and needs stimulus work together and get it done. Thank you. He does in the, <laughs> the, you know, the uh, classic Trump. Thank you at, at the end of everything. And that was that was Saturday in the hospital. Uh, I think on Monday he get, goes back to the White House, and the next day on on Tuesday he tweets. This is right after uh, the chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell, basically um, made it. He was that he was speaking at some kind of event that got a lot of coverage, and he made the case that we need more um, fiscal stimulus. Um, the federal government. The Congress and the president need to work hand in hand with uh, with the Federal Reserve, which the Fed, Federal Reserve does monetary policy. The federal government does fiscal policy. They need to work hand in glove in, in tackling the uh, economic fallout from the coronavirus. And uh, he was basically saying we need another stimulus package. That same day, Trump sends out a tweet directly contradicting what he just said a few days earlier saying that he uh i'll I'll read the whole thing nancy pelosi is asking for 2.4 trillion dollars to bail to bail out poorly run high crime democrat states money that is no way related to covid19 uh he may have a point there we made a very generous offer of 1.6 trillion dollars and as usual she is not negotiating in good faith I am rejecting their request and looking to the future of our country. I have instructed my representatives to stop negotiating until after the election, when immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill that focuses on hardworking Americans and small businesses. So we go from Trump wants a stimulus and um, it's kind of a big deal because in general, it's the Republicans in the Senate that are more skeptical of spending and, and a stimulus. Democrats want it. The Republicans don't. It seems like Trump is more on the side of the Democrats here where he wants a stimulus, but he doesn't want to bail out the Democrat states that the poorly ran Democrat states. Um, so then the market <laughs> took a nosedive right oh on that God. news, like in the yeah. middle of the day. 
And, you know, this this is a president who has basically said, you know, you could judge his performance based on the performance of the S&P 500. And uh, within 24 hours, he starts tweeting, you know, like, yes, we do need a stimulus. I take it back. I take it back. Yeah. Standalone. Um, standalone yeah. Stimulus, standalone bailout for the airlines. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then, and then, yes, the market did recover uh, very quickly. But man, what did it, what did it fucking tank like that? It's like, I, God, is that's I, 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 when he said that they were calling off uh, stimulus talks. I was, I was fucking pissed, man. I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was to, to, uh, to say I was angry is to put it mildly. Yeah, I mean, because that's just pure politics. It's not caring for the American people. I mean. Regardless of what the, of how this would affect the election, um, should not come into play on whether or not a bill gets passed or not. I mean, especially when you're talking about aid for Americans who really need the aid right now. I mean, we've still got a lot of people unemployed, underemployed, people who just, uh, businesses that are still shut down i mean the airlines we just had a another round of of layoffs um disney just announced a a ton of people they're laying off um same thing with the airlines as ppp loans are starting to run out um so so yeah first he tweets that uh he would immediately approve 25 billion dollars for airline payroll support $135 $135 billion for a paycheck protection program for small businesses. Uh, both of these will be fully paid for with unused funds in the CARES Act. Have the money. I will sign it now. And then he sends another tweet saying that if I am sent a standalone bill for stimulus checks, $1,200, they will go out to our great people immediately. I am ready to sign right now. Are you listening, Nancy? So that would basically be a repeat of the $1,200 checks that most Americans got earlier in the year. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the Democrats should take the deal. Like, there, there's no downside to taking this deal whatsoever. Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think there's there's no there's no political points to gain by pushing it off, and there's no political points to lose by agreeing to do it. And then yeah. on top of that, it's like you, you take the deal now. You're planning on winning the election in November anyway. Like, so like we're also the Democrats are also planning on taking the Senate, too. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you run game come November, which I mean, look at what, what, fucking less than a month away. Well, from November, then, of course, people don't get inaugurated to January, whatever have you. But the, the, like you're, you're going to be elected into power. You're going to have the position to pass whatever, whatever legislation that it is that you want to do. So go ahead and take this deal now and expand upon it later. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no reason why uh, they shouldn't take that deal. Um, especially just the, the standalone checks, I think is the simplest thing. And I, I think that the, after the last round of uh, direct checks that they, they uh, sent out a lot of good data came out of that showing that uh, it really helped people out. You know, I think that should be a pretty bipartisan thing. Um so I think right now, <laughs> so then I think they adjusted their numbers a little bit at the end of the week. Um, they got closer, but not perfect. Um, and now Trump is saying that he wants to go real big, like bigger than both the Democrats and the Republicans want to do. 
Um, so it seems like there may be an issue with getting the Senate to take on whatever bill the House may pass. But it looks like Trump would be willing to sign a Democrat-sponsored um, relief package, I would think, as long as it doesn't include bailing out these poorly ran Democratic cities and states, um, I think. Yeah, I think that's, at least that is the narrative that's being told in the news story, right? Mm-hmm. So, and uh, if that's what it comes down, if that's what's going to come down to like the make or break point of this bill, then yeah, let's worry about it later. You know, is it uh, something that needs to be addressed later on? Perhaps because if we don't, what's the alternative? But uh, yeah, if you're, man, if that's going to be what stands in the way between, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people getting the help that they need, then man, yeah, it's, it's pathetic. It's... <laughs> All right. Um, should we move on to the debate? Yeah, let's talk about that. That was. Uh, I, uh, the debate was fun. Uh, it was not as, uh, it was not as many fireworks as there was in the first presidential debate. Um, but I enjoyed it, you know, for, uh, overall I enjoyed it. Um, I thought, I thought they both did fairly well. Uh, I don't, in my opinion, uh, I could not really de- determine who was a clear winner or clear loser, right? I think you kind of have to watch and see how the polls change afterwards, to see who won and who lost and the polls were basically relatively unchanged so with that being the case i would say uh kamala did one because they didn't lose any ground so mm-hmm. um so but the debate itself i think uh, i w- it wasn't exactly quite what i was expecting either um if, if anybody saw the last video my prediction was this this debate was going to be, be policy 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 and we did definitely get some more policy compared to the, the first presidential one but i think what became clear and evident to me is that the biden administration is severely lacking on policy clarification yeah. and on, on some very important topics that they should have have that shit like nailed down to a science um and most importantly the subject on the supreme court whether or not they're going to pack it or not mm-hmm. to not have a clear answer on that on what your administration plans to do is beyond me right now and i and, and joe biden dodging the question so many times it's like today uh, a, a, a reporter asked him, do the, does, uh, do the American people deserve to know what your position is? And he said, no, they don't. Like, what? Wow. <laughs> so, it's infuriating. Yeah. yeah. No, so. I, 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 yeah. Um, when that came up during the debate, that was probably like the one time where I, I kind of got a little bit pissed off, to be frank, because they keep on dodging this question. And it's very important. You know, frankly, the way I feel about it is, I don't think they should be packing the Supreme court, but even if they do, and that's legitimately their plan, I would much rather them just give me, give me the, give it to me straight, you know? And honestly, um, the lack of clarity on that, I mean, they know what they want to do. They just don't want to say it. That's the thing. And the fact that they're not, the lack of transparency is a bigger deal to me than them potentially wanting to pack the court. Um, I, I understand why they would want to pack the court. There is, it's it's logical. Um, it this is the result of uh, Republicans 
playing politics in 2016 by not giving Merrick Garland a, a hearing. Um, you know, the Republicans really rigged the court in a way. Um, so this is the Democrats trying to get even, you know, I, I not a fan of packing the court, but I understand it. And they didn't start this fight. Um, so, I mean, if they were just just open about their intentions and transparent, I could get past that and still potentially vote for Joe Biden. But, you know, the fact that they're they're not giving us the straight to the truth here, you know, they're not abiding by rule eight uh, <laughs> is kind of a, a real piss off. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, it could. The, the, I think the potential could exist that they actually don't know what they want to do yet. Um, then just say it. Just say it. We don't know. We haven't decided right, it well, yet. Yeah. Unfortunately, in today's you know political spectrum, yeah, it's uh, that's not an option. You know, <laughs> you had to. You always have to. You know, appear to be fully in control. I, you know, why he wants to be so secretive about it, or, or come off as you know even conspiratorial is disturbing. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe they don't know. Um, you know, maybe their handlers, their handlers haven't told them what their position is going to be yet, right? Right. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's definitely concerning. Um, it's a, uh, I mean, but, but then again, maybe he doesn't have to. You know, it's uh, his his poll numbers aren't reflect. You know, if his uh, if his poll numbers were dropping, I'm sure they would have a plan real quick, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think the lack of clarity, if anything. Maybe a, a cause for polls to drop. I mean, right now, all the hardcore uh, Trump Republicans, uh, they think that the Bidens want to pack the court because that's what the Trump people have been saying. And there's a good chance that they're they're right, you know? So, I mean, even if Biden and Harris come out and say, hey, we decided we're not going to pack the court, they're not going to convince those people to say, oh, okay, you know what? I will vote for Joe Biden. You know, that's just not going to happen. Uh, but the people who are on the fence, like I, I'm kind of a, a swing voter traditionally, you know, I, I kind of do think I know who I want to vote for, but you know, I, I'm kind of on, I, you know, I'm, I'm middle of the, the, the field or whatever you call it. And um, something like just not being honest with the people, not telling the truth, trying to mislead, um, on something that's so important, I, I think it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, well, well, I guess at least he's not lying, I suppose. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, uh, he could say no, I'm not going to stack the court, and then get elected, and then stack the court. You know, uh, maybe that would have been. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a it's a it's a topic that shouldn't even be a topic. Like, what what is the position? Uh, on the on the court stacking in the Biden administration like that that shouldn't even be up for discussion like we, we should know exactly what they're going to do and what their plan is and how to achieve it mm -hmm. you know you could say what you want about Trump but regarding the Supreme Court he's been the most transparent of like I, I think any president we've ever had before he was even elected he had a list of potential nominees for the Supreme Court and that list has been vetted it's been um he doesn't know the people on the list. Let's let's be frank here. You know, they were recommended by by think tanks and, and people who yeah, they, do they, uh, know these judges and whatnot. I mean, yes, they yes. are. They do have a conservative tilt, no doubt about it. But it, it, it is a well 
thought up list of people who have been vetted and, you know, the Heritage Foundation wouldn't be saying, Trump, you should nominate this person who has a whole history of bad stuff that the Democrats could really make a big deal out of. You know, that's not happening. I mean, I guess it kind of did happen with the Kavanaugh case, but I, I mean, I, I, he was vetted before that. You know what I mean? I'm kind of yep. trying to take back my own words here a little bit, but uh, you know, um, the point is um, he's been pretty transparent with who he possibly would uh, nominate. And uh, that is something that I think future presidents, Biden or anyone else who runs in the future, you know, sh- should consider doing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, uh, you know, more information uh, that the American people have, the better, I think. Um, it helps us uh, really make up our, our decisions on who to vote for. Um, and I'd like to know who Joe Biden, if he's going to pack the court, what are some names that you're potentially thinking of, you know, who may be put on the bench? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it's a Usually, most administrations, by I, I, I believe, in past you know past elections and cycles, that they do have a, a list of who they would put on the Supreme Court, like available by now. I don't think it's something that past administrations have really done. I mean, I could be very wrong on that. Maybe you're right, but I, I think that I really thought that this was something that that Trump did that was kind of unprecedented. Hmm. It could be. Yeah, I could be completely wrong there. Yeah. Um, um, We'll look that uh, up next time. Next time, we'll, we'll give you the answer on that. But, uh, but uh, back to the debate, um, what did you think of Mike Pence's performance? Good. Um, so I thought in a vacuum, if this was held in a vacuum, Mike Pence won. But it, of course, it wasn't held in the vacuum. Um, it was held in, in the context of, of a larger race between Trump and Joe Biden, and people are really voting for Trump or Joe Biden, not Harris or Pence. And um, the polls are, were already favoring Harris and Biden. I thought both Harris and Pence did a, a good job. Um, I thought they both demonstrated that should something happen to the president, they would be able to, um, to perform the duties as president. Um, I, I, I felt like they both reassured the American people, which was really what their job was to do during the debate. Um, but I felt that the bar was a little bit lower for Pence because he's kind of connected to Trump and based off Trump's past debate performance where, you know, most people, people widely uh, considered him to be the loser of um, you know, he's also attached to Trump and all of the the mistruths that that Trump speaks frequently. And uh, um, I mean, where ha- we got this this botched coronavirus situation going on, and uh, I just felt like the bar was a little bit lower for Pence. And he's been very quiet. I mean, I had a friend say to me that he thinks that this was the first time he ever heard Mike Pence speak. You know, and I think I I think a lot of people felt like that. You know, they had never heard Pence speak before, despite the fact that he was actually a a radio show host in the late 90s. So, I mean, he's he's actually 
pretty good speaker, as we all found out, and a good debater as well. Um, I felt like he surprised a lot of people. He was very smooth. He was very um, just kind of to the point and was able to back up the policies of the Trump administration. Um, he was kind of the he kind of like completed Trump in a weird way where, where they're, they're like polar opposites in a way. And I felt like that really um, made the Trump administration look, look pretty good. Um, but like I said, I, I thought Harris had a pretty good debate as well. Um, but just uh, she did what she had to do. She looked like a vice president. She acted vi- you know, like a vice president should. And, but again, this is a race between Biden and Trump. Um, and if anything, in the grand scheme of things, Harris won because she showed people, look, I could be vice president. Should I have to be? And um, and uh, uh, even though I, I think, you know, strictly Pence versus Harris, Pence won that debate. It really wasn't about Pence versus Harris. It's about Trump versus Biden. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think. um I think Pence dropped the ball, uh, uh, especially early. Well, his his opening statement when he uh, he mentioned uh, that, you know Joe Biden might know something about plagiarism. Yeah. That, I mean that that was like oh man that was that was probably the best line of the night actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I was, was like, good. so I I I was I was hoping that that, that was the Mike Pence that we were going to get for the entire debate. Like I was, I, I was hoping he was setting the tone. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he didn't kind of drop the ball later on. Um, I think especially when like very frequently uh, his answer to almost any question was Joe Biden's going to ban fracking. Joe Biden's going to raise your taxes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was one very awkward one. Um, I, let me see. What was it about? Um do you think, yeah, yeah, uh, Susan Page asked Mike Pence if he considers uh, climate change an existential threat. And he, just, he goes, well, you know what? Joe Biden's going to raise your taxes and <laughs> yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so, you know, he, he kind of had this way of avoiding answering questions directly. But I mean, Kamala Harris did as well. Um Especially on the Supreme Court thing we were just talking about, so that was that was that kind of went both ways. Yeah, uh, it's a, uh, the uh, because you mentioned it, I just want to back up a little bit. Um, as it, it just in, strictly in regards to Kamala being uh, sh- showcasing herself as fit to hold the office of president. Um, one thing that has always bothered me, I don't think I'm ever going to get over it. Frankly, it's like it's a, is. Uh, um, you know, we had a whole presidential presidential democratic primary and America all came together and we all decided she is not qualified to be the president of the United States. Yeah. Right. So, uh, it's, um, right. And, and, and I mean, either regardless who wins, uh, Trump or Biden, it's going to be the oldest president this country has ever had. And so the vice presidential pick should be of utmost importance and mm-hmm. to select someone who was at the very bottom tier of the of the candidates is uh, terribly unwise, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I have a few thoughts on that. 
she was doing very well early on. And this was after she called uh, Joe Biden a racist, essentially, on the debate yeah. stage. She didn't use that I exact that word, but it was, yeah, it was a very strong implication that Joe Biden was racist. Um, so that was a, a missed opportunity for Mike Pence. You know, why didn't he bring that up? You know, mm-hmm. how could you serve as vice president to someone who you think is a racist and right. a sexual predator. She also yes. said that uh, she believed in the woman who was making those accusations against Joe Biden. Right. So, uh, I mean, if if you're just willing to just just believe just just because somebody says something, um, the, the implication is then that that she believes Joe Biden is a sexual predator. Um, Pence missed a big opportunity and not bringing that stuff up. Um, what was the other point that I was going to make? I, I don't uh, fit I for office point there. Fitness for office. Um, geez, Jeremy, I don't know, man. You, you <laughs> take over, save me here. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 go, I guess going back to Mike Pence here again, too. Uh, I was expecting a Tulsi Gabbard type moment, right? Like something that Mike Pence was going to bring mm-hmm. to the table that was just going to completely put her under the bus and you know, and there's like nothing that she could like defend herself from, such as Tara Reid, um, or the uh, yeah accusing um, Biden of racism during the mm-hmm. the busing scandal. I mean, man, those were like two topics that like you really could have railed home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I, and I, I, I think well, go ahead. I was uh, the uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the question, the question was brought up during the debate about um, you know whether or not the vice president, whoever whoever's up there, uh, is fit for office you know it was the, the the question was asked in the frame of the age of the president and that's something that mike mm-hmm. pence definitely could have you know dropped a bombshell on too that you know the american people have already decided that you're not qualified yeah 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 definitely um and i i remember what my other point was going to be i actually thought it was kind of fishy when she dropped out when she did because she was she had a surge in the polls um and then the next debate, she tried pulling the same thing uh, against Joe Biden and people didn't like it the second time and she started to slip. But still, she was like uh, she was ahead of some other people who were still in the race when she decided to drop out. And I kind of felt at that time that maybe she was approached by people in the DNC that said, hey, we'll make you the vice president if you drop out now, because there was there were a lot of people uh at that time in the race, especially in the so-called moderate lane, where she kind of straddled that moderate and progressive lane, I could see, I could see people within the DNC. This is pure speculation, right? But they needed to narrow down that field, and because um, otherwise, Bernie Sanders would have won this race. Yep. So, I mean, I could, I could, you know see her having been approached by people within the dnc saying hey um whoever wins this will make you the vp um and it just just kind of like i don't know adds to the whole thing that joe biden has handlers he's not really in charge even though he kind of said that he is the democratic party in the last debate um yeah, yeah, just a random conspiracy, conspiratorial thought there. No, um, I, I mean, there definitely was some um, some backroom dealings uh, with the DNC for sure. Uh, I, I did think it was rather sus- uh, suspicious too when she dropped out so early. 
uh, I think the, the, the official story was the campaign ran out of money, um, yeah. which may, may or may not be true. Um, but I mean, like, the, the way that um, there was a coordinated effort to suppress um, or to, to split the vote from, from Bernie Sanders, right? So like whenever, um, I mean, there was, it was a very coordinated effort when like when Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropped mm-hmm. out and then like Warren was hanging in there. Yeah. Like to like, really, you know, drive, pull those votes away from Bernie. And then as soon as he was uh, successful in doing that, then, yeah, then she dropped out too. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually think Trump even said something about that recently about how, uh, yeah, there, it was during the last debate, he even said how, uh, Pocahontas, you know, kind of took it away from Bernie and it's the only reason why Joe Biden is the nominee. Um, yeah. Uh, wild. Um, what'd you think of, of Susan Page? She did excellent. You know, um, I, I have nothing bad to say about her. Uh, I also don't have it. You know, I don't. I still don't have anything bad to say about Chris Wallace either. Yeah. Um, I, I thought they, they. I thought they both did excellent jobs. To be honest with you, uh, I, I wasn't that impressed with Susan Page. I thought that number one, just about every question I actually thought was framed in a way that was um, against Trump and Pence. You know, so which kind of made it in an unlevel playing field and and possibly harder for Pence to uh, to debate well, which I I think he achieved no problem, as I was saying. Um, And if anything, that kind of plays into why I think Pence really had a had a great debate performance. But yeah, I mean, right off the bat, she was basically saying that the administration administration's response to the coronavirus has been a massive failure, which I think in a lot of ways it, it has, but that was built into the question, you know, and she, she did that a lot within her questioning, um, made Trump and Pence look like science deniers uh, and, you know, Kamala, you know, what do you respond to that? You know, I, it was I, I thought her questioning was kind of one sided. Um, and also. Uh, whenever uh, Pence just kept on on talking and extending his 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 uh, answers like 25 seconds beyond the cutoff point. Just saying, you know, um, thank you, Vice President. Thank you, Mr. Pence. Thank you that's not gonna that doesn't do it you know you really got to start um I, I thought wallace was a little bit more forceful um in uh and getting trump to stop talking you know or at least yeah. making it harder for listeners to to hear what the person's saying you know yeah. um if that makes any sense yeah um, i think that, yeah i think that's uh i think that's very valid criticism uh, I, I i would only say that perhaps that the 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 incumbent administration um, perhaps is always deserving of uh, the tougher questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's a fair point. You might be right on that, um, but definitely worth noting. I, I thought the questions were a little bit more uh, critical of the current administration. Yeah. Um, any, uh, were there any mistruths that stuck out at you? Um. I mean, I can't say it with, uh, well, I can't say with certainty, but whenever Mike Pence would say that Joe Biden's going to ban fracking, um, that was an outright lie. Um, 
and that did all right so coming into this debate you know i i I already knew who Kamala Harris was and how she debates and, you know, recently with, you know, the, the whole Democratic primary. So I, I knew what to expect from her. I already knew as a person, I didn't care for her. So I'm, you know, my, my bias was going to weigh against her regardless. Um, but Pence being disingenuous and outright lying, um, given the, at least the, the media narrative, the story of like the moral character that this man embodies definitely rubbed me the wrong way. Um, so you're saying that, um, so the, the narrative right now is that, uh, you know, Joe Biden has said he wouldn't ban fracking, um, but hasn't Harris said in the past that she would ban fracking? How many millions of dollars do you think their campaign is, has received from the, like the gas and pipeline industries? Like that, it's, I, like, I have no idea. Right. I'm sure it's in the tens of millions of dollars, right? If not now, at least when Biden was in the administration with Obama, uh, I think there is close to 0% chance that they outright ban fracking in the United States. I, I just don't, I just don't see it as a feasible option. Um, should, should, could, uh, could our fracking practices be improved upon? Um, sure. Absolutely. Um, but I don't think that <laughs> the powers that be, the, uh, the the oil companies would allow something like that to actually happen. Yeah, um, I had thought that in the past, Harris had said that she would ban fracking. I'm trying to find it right now online as I'm talking. Um, but what stuck out to me when, during the debate when this came up was Pence brought it up. You guys are going to ban fracking. And in response, she was very clear. She said, Joe Biden will not ban fracking. She didn't say anything about herself, which really stuck out at me. And as we know, Joe Biden is an old dude. There's a very good chance that Harris could end up becoming the president either within during Joe Biden's first term or she could be the Democratic nominee in 2024. So, um, Again, I'm still trying to I'm trying to look up online uh, Harris's past stances on fracking. I forgot to have this ready, but pretty sure she has said in the past that she would ban fracking. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised to find it. Yes, um, but I think it's also a. I think it even even if it was a policy that she, that she was running on, um, actually getting something like that across the finish line, I think is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, can you imagine the the House and the Senate, even if the House and the Senate are both controlled by the Democrats, banning fracking, passing either house, right? It's, it seems seems like too big of a task to me. Yeah. And it's something that you, I don't think you could do by executive order unless you declared like climate, uh, climate change a national emergency and did like some very draconian and authoritarian measures. Mm-hmm. There are concerns about fracking. Um yeah, I mean, they're saying it's creating earthquakes in places that didn't have earthquakes before. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe. Should it be? Probably. Um, yeah. You know, as, as a I mean, should. Um, but I, I think it's given the the influence it has, um, and with in, in terms of the, the lobbyists that exist, uh, you know, in the quote unquote swamp. <laughs> I I I just don't think that. I mean, during during our lifetime, 
what uh, we see a ban on fracking. Um, I think that's probably the better question. Uh, will the Biden Harris administration ban it? I highly doubt. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, just just like when they say that like like they listen to the scientists. No, they fucking don't. Right. So like they they listen to the scientists when it's convenient for them. Like the, Biden and Harris and the Democrats are not the, like the, the party of science. They are the party of science when they want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that kind of speaks to the uh, whole issue over the vaccine. Right. If we come out with the vaccine while Trump is still in office or before the election, that's not going to happen. I mean, too, too soon. Um, but she was basically saying that if Trump says we have a good vaccine, she's not going to listen. But if the scientists do, then maybe she would. But also at the same time, some of these scientists are working with the Trump administration. Um, I don't know. There's some question there over whether Biden and Harris would support a vaccine if it comes out before the transition. So yeah, they support science, but when it benefits them um i mean it's the same thing obviously with the republicans possibly even amplified a little bit um something that i caught and i know you caught too because you texted me about this during the debate was the uh when harris was talking about the uh the manufacturing recession um she basically said that trump's trade war with china cost uh, 300,000 manufacturing jobs. That's not true. And I, I knew that was not true. You know, I didn't know the exact numbers, but you know, the trade war, I mean, it, it hurt farmers. Yes. I mean, they, there was hurt here. It wasn't really good for the stock market market. Every time there was a trade dispute, the market went down. Um, but Overall, the market's done pretty well under Trump, um, and so has manufacturing. There has been um, a net increase in manufacturing jobs during the Trump administration. Um, when the virus first hit, I think everything kind of took a nosedive, uh, including manufacturing. And when Harris is talking about a loss of manufacturing jobs, that was really just temporary losses due to this virus um, before the virus um, I, I think I, I had seen um, Pence said during the debate that uh, they added 500,000 manufacturing jobs. I tried getting the exact number that was on the high end of what I saw. And on the low end, I saw something like 150,000 manufacturing jobs were added pre-COVID. Um, either way, the Trump administration is way in the green when it comes to adding manufacturing jobs. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's a uh, yeah, the, uh, the the claim that Kamala made that we are in a manufacturing recession uh, is untrue. Um, there is a what's called the uh, the PMI. It's just uh, this manufacturing index. Um, it, it's very clear that if the if the PMI is below fifty, we are in a manufacturing recession, um, and uh, we are. At, last time I checked, that we were at. 53 which is not a recession yeah so uh, all right so uh, here's the graph here um we were april may april may yeah you you could definitely say that we were in a manufacturing recession but just then and only then yeah um, it was a v recovery it bounced right back really hard real fast right 
Right. So if, if, if we uh, zoom this graph out and show even going back here, we are at uh, uh, 2017 levels, essentially. So, I mean, um, manufacturing, I mean, definitely uh, as a as an American manufacturer myself, it's something that's very important to me. And I mean, there, there, there were some some shops that did that, you know, were not able to make it. There definitely were some jobs lost mm -hmm. uh, permanently. Um, but by and large, um, uh, it, it, it comes down to like what you make, what is, what is your company's specialty, um, which dictated whether or not you were going to be sticking around. Like if you were, if you, uh, if your company was focused on making goods and products that are, um, recession proof, you're okay. But you know, if, uh, let's say for example, let, let's say your, your company, um, uh, manufacturers components for railroads and rail cars and like nothing else you got hit really hard um yeah. um but i mean like uh, the ra i'm not entirely sure what the condition is of rail is now but you know as soon as uh, the uh there were, you know as soon as the stock market crashed you know stuff was stopping was uh stopped being imported into the ports things were not being loaded into trains uh products were not being moved across the country like they were um that put a lot of people under um i think uh also stuff with uh automotive um you know that the you know they were not moving cars off the line like they were pre-pandemic so um if that was your bread and butter yeah you took that one on the chin man uh, but if you if you were doing stuff uh you know if you were more focused on on medical equipment if you were military um you're golden yeah um and some companies were able to uh quickly change up their their game plan like i know ford started making ventilators uh and stuff um you know if you have the capability to do that um then you know things are pretty good for you i heard a story today on NPR, I was listening to earlier, they're talking about Etsy. And Etsy is actually the best performing stock in the S&P 500 for 2020. And that's because once the recession hit, um, they were, uh, the, a lot of their, the people on there, first of all, a lot of people lost their jobs and needed to come up with new ways to, to make money. And a lot of people decide, Hey, I'm going to make arts and crafts and sell it online. And Etsy is the perfect vehicle to do that. Uh, but also there was a mask shortage early on and making masks, cloth, cloth masks is like uh, the perfect thing that could be done within a home. Uh, my friend's mom actually uh, was making masks for a while. Um, and uh, boom, Etsy is the place to sell your masks that you uh, made at home. And it's the place, it was the place for people to buy masks. Um, so a lot of these um, people who may have already had shops set up in, indoors, maybe they were making shirts and hats and stuff. They had the ability to change on a dime and make masks, you know, um, a lot of those people did very well during the recession um, or during the downturn, whatever you want to call this COVID crisis. Um, and as a result, Etsy as a, as a platform has done very well as a company. Um, yeah, that's but, where I got uh, my, yeah, my, my first, uh, the very first cloth masks that I purchased online were from Etsy. Really? Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. Interesting. 
because man they were hard to find well after like right after you know the uh they decided they were going to stop lying about the effectiveness of masks. You know, they yeah, were, that was you know, weird. They were so hard to find. Yeah, know? just just give it to us straight. Tell us, please. You know, government should always be honest with the people. Doesn't matter if we're talking about the Trump administration trying to not prevent people from getting uh, uh, too out of control. Um, I'm referring to the Bob Woodward book, where Trump basically said that he. He knew how bad the virus was way back in, in February or January, but didn't do anything. Although he did shut down travel from China at the same time. Um, you know, um, you can't be worried about, about people panicking um, because frankly, uh, we have chaos now and the past few months have been chaotic. It was just a matter of time and people probably would have been able to prepare a little bit better had the president just given them the straight truth way back when, um, you know, but also team Biden and Harris, they got to be open and honest about what they're doing with the Supreme court. Just, just be, be honest with us. Um, and the mask thing. Yeah. That was just ridiculous. I mean, obviously masks uh, help, you know, I mean, you gotta be a real looney tune to think otherwise. Um, but because early on they were worried about mask shortages, they didn't tell us the truth. And now there are still people pointing to that saying, you see, masks aren't good. It's all about control. Right. Yeah. They have permanently damaged your credibility. Yep. Uh, Which is, I mean, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, the Trump administration does it all the time, but that, <laughs> that, that one in particular was, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you can, I'm, it was Orwellian, right? That that uh, how they just completely changed their statement or, mm -hmm. or their position on it, and we saw it even again recently with uh, you know whether or not uh, COVID can be uh, airborne, right? Mm -hmm. And in terms of transmission, like it was it was up on the the website for a second, they took it back down. They were saying, "Well, why'd you do that?" And they were like, "Well, the HHS told us we couldn't put it on there." It's like what, <laughs> like. You didn't know what to believe and that's yeah. uh just so yeah damaging to the credibility that i think uh for 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 even even if the the trump administration is per perhaps treated unfairly in the news which of, of course like of course they're going to be treated unfairly like on fucking msnbc right you're, you're, they're not going to give them a, a you know a fair shot right um he doesn't help himself out whatsoever right that's so uh, having uh, a cdc that doesn't uh cooperate with the, uh, with the hss um that's right i mean it's, it's so stupid it is i mean if you're going to be holding um events at the lighthouse with people not wearing masks hugging and, and and kissing each other on the cheek and stuff and and all this stuff potential super spreader events you at least better be able to show all the negative tests of everybody at that event, you know? And we still don't know when the last time uh, Trump had a, a negative coronavirus test. And that's probably because he was not being tested every day. You know? I mean, yeah. if you're at least going to, you know, be casting doubt on masks and uh, publicly encouraging people to continue to gather... I mean, at least at the at the minimum, 
you should be getting tested every single day and be able to tell that to the American people. You know, I might not be wearing a mask, but I know I'm safe. I was tested this morning and the guy next to me, he was also tested. We're all in the clear here. They can't say that because they weren't doing the testing. Um, I think Mitch McConnell even said something recently, like yeah. he's been avoiding the White House because it's, they, it's they August. <laughs> yeah. Fucking crazy, you know? I mean, <laughs> and why has he been so quiet about this? You know, I mean, he uh, that, that guy, um, I really hope, uh, I, I hope he loses his re-election. He's up for re-election right now. Oh, he's going to um, stop McGrath. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but uh, I, I think he's got to go. Um, uh, he, uh, he put politics ahead of lives, essentially. He should have been calling out the White House on uh, how they uh, weren't handling the virus very well and taking it seriously. Um, he, he was one of the few people who Trump possibly would have listened to because, frankly, it's the most powerful senator, most powerful Republican senator. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, whether or not we, whether or not the Senate votes on Amy Coney Barrett, it all comes down to whether or not McConnell wants to hold the vote. So, I mean, this guy has got tremendous weight. He could have got the, the, the White House to take this virus a little bit more seriously. Agreed. But yeah, 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 yeah. He's a man, an absolute terrible human being, <laughs> a, a terrible politician. But man, yeah, people, the people of Kentucky love him, you know? I don't care. Yeah, uh, I, I think if, uh, man, I I will always think that if, if, if Mike Breuer had got the nomination uh, for the Democrats, he would have just ran game. Um, unfortunately, um, yeah, he did, he performed terribly. Um, yeah, you know, so not not only did he get you know completely annihilated by Amy McGrath, but I mean even a, a um, Booker, uh, Charles Booker. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was close between McGrath and Booker, mm-hmm. and, and Breuer was just yeah blown out the water. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance he siphoned some votes off of Booker too, which it's kind of a bummer because Booker probably would have been even a better candidate than McGrath. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But man, what's so weird about that election, too, is it's like, I don't know how many tens of millions of dollars have been have been spent so far, but it's tens of millions of dollars being spent in vain. Mm. It's, yeah. It's one of the most expensive elections in this country's history, as far as the Senate is concerned. <laughs> this is all going to be wasted. Wow. Um, but, you know, who who is at serious risk of, of losing his seat? Uh, Lindsey Graham. I don't know if you've been following that at all, but uh, he's in a, a really tough race over there. And he, he's also one of the most powerful Republican senators, and uh, he could be gone in a few months. Yeah, he's kind of the, the opposite of of uh, Mitch McConnell. I, I think in, in terms of public opinion, like the, the country um, generally, not, not from Democrats, of course, but I think conservatives in general have a favorable opinion of Lindsey Graham. Um, and, and probably not so much of Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, although I, myself, I'm kind of neutral, uh, especially in, in, in relation to how I, I feel about McConnell. Um, I used to like, uh, Graham a lot more, uh, when John McCain was still around. And then I felt like once McCain passed away, 
Lindsey Graham lost his moral compass in, in a sense. And uh, he was very critical of the Trump administration early on. But once McCain yeah. passed, he became golfing buddies with Trump and uh, kind of started drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, I think. And uh, he essentially is now a, a Trump Republican, whereas before he was one of he was part of the old guard. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of lost a little bit of, of respect for for Graham, I think. But I still like him more than McConnell. Yeah, yeah, as, uh, I. Uh, you're completely right about yeah, the, the 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 change in character on Lindsey Graham. Uh, it was so think, apparent. Yeah, um, I think regardless of if if you're if you're a Republican, um, you definitely want Lindsey Graham on your side because I mean yeah. if uh, if he is on your side, he is very loyal and will go to bat for you to the ends of the earth. He was mm-hmm. he was, but um, but yeah, to, to see him, you know lay down the trump was yeah everybody was well unless you're a trump guy but uh <laughs> yeah folks like myself are very disappointed you know yeah. same thing with uh, i mean so with everybody i mean chris christie rubio ted cruz yeah I mean, ted cruz especially my god lion ted, Lion <laughs> yeah. ted. Yeah, talk, talking shit on his wife to his face yeah, and like yeah, yeah. man like how do you forgive that you fucking yeah. pussy like I think he, he just came out with a, a book on that. I'm actually like considering, should I get the, I just got a, a, a subscription to audiobooks.com and it's a great service. Um, they are not sponsoring our show here. So, you know, I'm telling the truth. Uh, and basically you pay a subscription. I think it's like, I don't know, $14 a month and you get two books a month. Um, and I, I spend a lot of time in my car driving around, and I just I just been listening to these audiobooks. I'm considering getting Ted Cruz's new book because I think he answers that question why he ended up voting for Trump despite all of what happened. And it's called like one vote away or something. I don't know. I may or may not. I'll definitely let you guys know if I do decide to to get it. <laughs> but um, part of it is too. Uh, I, I just relocated to Texas uh, about a year ago. So Ted Cruz is now my senator, and uh, I want to learn a little bit more about him because uh, he's up for re-election in four more years now. I think he was just re-elected two years ago, so we got some time, but I still want to start forming a more more solid opinion on him. So, yeah, I got time to do my research. Yeah, how's it feel knowing that you're going to have better work on your ballot again sometime in the, the near future? I don't know if we will, man. I, I think he really sabotaged his career with that. Uh, we're going to take your guns away. I mean, maybe oh, if yeah. he, he, he might, he might have to move to California or something, run. <laughs> but I, I think he's, I don't think he's uh, running for anything in Texas. I, yeah, I, I forgot about that actually. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, uh, yeah. Um, Maybe he could do like state senate or state house. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. Those those gun remarks definitely were the wrong thing to say if you're running for right. the U.S. Senate in Texas. Yep, yep. Um, but uh, I mean, Texas well, is starting well, to trend blue. It's about to, yeah, that's all those people coming in from California, mm-hmm, man. Mm-hmm. It, it, it may we not have, be over for him. Our uh, other senator is up for a re-election this year, John Cornyn. And uh, he's got a pretty tough opponent, um, MJ Hager. Uh, I don't know all that much about her, but she's you know like Amy McGrath. She's a, a military veteran, 
Um, I, I got to do more research on her, but she uh, seems like a very worthy opponent. Uh, I'll put it that way. But I like it when, when people have military experience and they're running for office, you know, yeah. they, um, they don't tend to bullshit really. They're, they're to the point they're honest. Um, you know, you, you, you're kind of more, uh, assured that they're in it for the right reasons, not really just for a power trip. Um, I mean, cause if you're a soldier, you are following orders, you know, uh, usually you're not in charge. Everybody answers to somebody else in the military. So, you know, it, it's, it's, Chances are, if, if you served in the military, you're the type of person that just wants to serve your country. Uh, so I, I like seeing those types uh, run for office. So um, in the next few weeks before Election Day, I'll probably give you some more information on that, what I plan on, on doing regarding that. Haven't made my mind up yet. All right. Uh, anything else that we should touch on tonight? Uh, I think uh, I think uh, here's probably a good place to end it. But do you uh, do you have do you have anything else, or I guess we're we're at the end, huh? Yeah, I think I think <laughs> we I think we kind of cleared it all out. I guess uh, I mean unless you wanted to go back like to the very beginning and uh, talk more about the the Whitmore situation, but uh, I think we gotta. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, do we do we miss anything regarding that? I know we're um, kind of we're kind of fast on it. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, like we didn't talk about the boog. Um, boog. Yeah. All right. Let's go, let's let's go there. Who the hell are the boogaloo? What is what is boogaloo? All right, the boogaloo boys uh, is a a right leaning. Uh, I guess uh, you could refer to as extremist group that one should bring upon um, a civil war to overthrow the American government. So it, 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 it's, there is not one type of, of a Boogaloo boy, have you? There are many types. Um, the Boogaloo boys originated on 4chan on the, the K board. Um, and they're, they are rooted originally in some very um, neo-Nazi, uh, very far right-wing stuff. Um, stuff of uh the like the the turner diaries were a part of uh how they you know kind of how they came up with their ideology and you know the set the framework for the race war that they wanted to implement but the thing about uh forge hand too a lot of it is satire uh um so like, you, you see some crazy stuff on there and you never know if it's real if it's a joke if it's satire if you know if that's what they really mean right um uh, uh, but yeah the the movement continued to grow it, from there just became many things so you you still had some of the um uh, like the day of the rope uh neo-nazi types but it also gained a lot of traction um with uh, libertarian uh minded folks too um and uh, a lot of people uh um i guess that fall under the more extreme versions of uh, umbrella of libertarianism, uh, especially anarcho-capitalists uh, and just you know straight up anarchists too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, being rooted in 4chan is something that they have like never really been able to shake up, shake off, and they, the media has cont- always beat them over the head and labeled them as uh, 
white supremacist, which for some of the members, it is true for others is definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just like, uh, um, very similar to um, Black Lives Matter and Antifa in the way and um, that they don't have a centralized leader, right? There's not like, there's not one guy at the top of, of the boogaloo calling the shots saying, hey, this is what we stand for. This is what we do. This is what we're about. No, it's just like this, you have these, these different groups, these different sects that all have different goals and different ambitions. Um, so I guess you could say the one, the one thing that they all have in common is um, um, wanting to overthrow the government. And the means of how they get there is different. And then what they do <laughs> afterwards is also very different too. Um, so yeah, so yeah, the, the, the gentlemen that were uh, uh, arrested in the, uh, the governor uh, scandal definitely do appear to be part of the, the Boogaloo movement. And uh, I think it just goes to show you that like this, uh, this, this, this movement is becoming something more than just an online chat room, right? It's, uh, um, you, know, you have seen the guys in Hawaiian shirts at the protest. Um, there were those, uh, those uh, security guards that were murdered in California. Um, so it's, it's becoming something that is worth paying attention to. So the Wolverine Watchmen, they were Boogaloo, essentially. Mm. They're, yes. a group, they're a group within this, this larger group. And uh, so, so there's probably a ton of different independent militias that all consider themselves Boogaloos, Boogaloo right. boys, but they don't all have the same leader in a sense. They have uh, leadership is more localized. Right. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Um, but yeah, it, it, def- it definitely is concerning too that, you know, the, that every militia member knows about the Boogaloo, right? It's a, yeah. um, um, uh, uh, every survivalist, every prepper, um, they are aware of it. And that's like, like that, those are the circles that this group is like embedded yeah. in. So like, a, it's not uncommon to meet someone, to meet a boogaloo that is either a, a prepper, a survivalist, or sometimes a neo-Nazi, or, you know, these, these other extreme ideologies or uh, positions that one could have. Um, the, the one that I personally do in my life was a uh, anarcho-capitalist uh, who wanted to bring upon a civil war of where we overthrew the government and then to where, uh, you know, free market just like controlled everything except that like society existed in like a pre-industrial age type of like way of life. It was very strange. Um, That's absurd. So, <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. He was a wild dude. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, like no, uh, no real rule of law. Um, no, I mean, no constitution, no borders, no, um, no rights, anything like that. It was just really, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was anarchy in its, uh, most pure form that this, yeah. what this guy was after. So I, uh, I could see why some libertarians may be attracted to that, but you know, libertarians believe in government, just limited government. You know, there is, you know, the Libertarian Party is in no way 
about overthrowing our current government. You know, maybe they want to oust the duopoly that's in charge, but um, this is something else—a right. a whole, a whole another movement that's that's uh, uh, gaining prominence, um, and they have hell of a name, the Boogaloo's. I don't I'd yeah. love to know where that came from. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, it came from a joke, you know, it was yeah. uh, uh, something to do with a, like an an eighties breakdance video huh. called the, the electric boogaloo. Um, nice. Electric and, boogaloo. I like that yeah. even more. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, but it's like one, the one thing to really keep in mind is when it comes to these, like if you want to get into like how these people think and how they operate is they, they regard Timothy McVeigh as a, as an American hero. Hmm. Because so, he uh, was attacking a federal agency. Yes. It was the was it the IRS? It was the FBI, I believe. The FBI. Okay. Um, hmm. uh, that's that's wild. Um, now, let's contrast them with the Proud Boys uh, for a moment, because um, that's are the Proud Boys considered boogaloo's as well? No, no, I, I would definitely not say so. Um, Okay. Like no way at all. Uh, um, no. Like, completely different. Because like, the, pr- the, the Proud Boys, they don't want to take down the government. They, if anything, want to prop up Donald Trump's government. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like, the, 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 uh, I guess they they are very anti-socialist. Um, but yeah, I, they are not calling for. Uh, civil war or overthrow mm-hmm. of the of the government, and they're also not calling for the death of police officers either, right? You know, which is also like very common within the Boogaloo's. Yeah, that's strange. And there's some, I mean, that's that's overlap, the far right and the far left, the Antifa folks. You know, um, do you think these Boogaloo groups? I, I know we we we're calling them far right, radical extremist groups, but I mean. Could they also be far left boogaloo's? I mean, like, are there more than zero of them? Uh, probably, but <laughs> I, I think <laughs> uh, I don't think so, man. And just just because of like the the emphasis on on capitalism and the you know the the embodiment of the rugged individualism that they see as such a core and important thing for each person to adhere to um and it's just the complete opposite of what um most leftists and especially any extreme leftist position mm-hmm. is uh, so i just don't think there's any way to box them in to be uh left-leaning uh, sure that's uh, i mean could there be i mean like, all right just like so does it exist like are there anarcho uh, socialists yeah i mean sure I mean, but nobody that like that matters. Um, you know, are there anarcho uh, communists? Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, there, there's been literature um, uh, written about it, but yeah, these are not the types of people that are in the Boogaloo's to in a, an effective manner to shape the way or to shape the ideologies of what they're about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, um. It's, it's like a, uh, they have a they have a common interest with Antifa and Black Lives Matter, and that's why you'll, you'll see some overlap and interaction every once in a while. But uh, by and large, um, they have very different end games or very in, very different end goals. Interesting. Yeah. So Interesting. like, 
you know, I would say for the, for the most part, for the, uh, I'm not going to speak the entire Boogaloo movement. For the most part, yes, they, they, they do want an overthrow of the police state. They, 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 want, they too also want the police abolished. Um, but there, are, there is also that there are a very um, uh, meaningful percentage of the Boogaloos that do want to make the Turner Diaries a reality. Um, and if the, uh, the Turner Diaries, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's a, it was a novel written in the 60s, I believe. And it's a, it's a novel. Uh, it's, it's, it's a work of fiction that des- describes how white Americans rise up and um, kill every non-white in the, on the planet, essentially, and uh, uh, create a, uh, not only an ethno state, but an ethno planet. Jeez. Um, and that's uh, the, the, the Turner Diaries have influenced a lot of um, extreme libertarian folks in the past too. Uh, uh, Timothy Mc, uh, McVeigh, for example. Um, and I mean, it's, it's had a, a huge influence on the extreme right. So it's uh, uh, something to be aware of and to take into consideration whether or not you support um, these folks or not, you know, um, it's, it's not good. In my yeah. I, I don't see any positive outcome, um, by supporting these individuals and what they're after, like, regardless, like take away the white supremacy thing whatsoever, but, you know, trying to bring upon a civil war is, um, mm-hmm. deeply dis- uh, concerning. So do you think that this attempt to, to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, was an attempt to start this so-called civil war. So, uh, the guy, the guy who I used to know, that was involved with these guys, basically, like, uh, in I guess kind of in his words, that the rest of the the movement is sitting around waiting for it to, to, to spark off, and like once it or once it gets kicked off, like once there's like this big movement of like if someone does something crazy that's going to activate everybody and then whatever so right like, now they're all standing by yeah standing by yes okay. <laughs> that was good but yeah so uh that that's is indeed what they are they're waiting for damn that big um, kickoff yeah so that potentially could have been the kickoff that plus uh, the election and all the uncertainty around the election uh, who knows how things would have spiraled out of control i'm sure Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are, yeah, these are not pro-Trump uh, people, and you know, by and large, in general, um, yeah, the, the the far right, like the extreme far right, really doesn't support Trump at all anymore. Um, they think that he's done too much to help Israel, done too little to help uh, white folks here at home. Um, so, like, you know, like folks like the Boogaloo uh, on the extreme far end. Yeah, they don't give a fuck about him either. Yeah, his head—they're uh, coming for him with the guillotine, just like the FBI and the deep state and your local law enforcement. Wow, wow, it's just amazing that uh, all these different factions exist. Scary stuff. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to be able to sleep tonight. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man! But um, all right, I guess uh, should we call it here? Let's call it here. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, everybody, hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We will be back next week after I'm sure what will be another eventful week. 
So until then, <laughs> stay safe. And uh, yeah, take care, yeah, everybody. Uh, yeah, like, share, subscribe, all that stuff, please. Yeah, do it. Thank you. Love you guys. <laughs> Bye now.